I have not seen a graduate school curriculum that includes content for leaders in any type of leadership role on how to address workplace bullying and incivility. I haven't seen it. If anybody who's listening knows of an, you know, an academic institution that does include this, please let me know, because I, I would love to know if, if it's out there, but I haven't seen it. What challenges do we face in healthcare when it comes to creating healthy workplaces? And what strategies can we employ to combat the behaviors that create toxic, negative, and damaging workplace cultures? Let's talk all about it with Dr. Renee Thompson, the founder and CEO of the Healthy Workforce Institute, right here on episode 458 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello there. This is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you. It's about your personal and professional development, your career, and the healthcare system writ large. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, entrepreneurship, nursing, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride. And I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. If you'd like to help other people find the show, you can leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. That is super helpful. You can also leave one on Google, Amazon, or Spotify, or just share the show from any app where you happen to be listening. Share it with anybody you think might enjoy it or glean something from it. And you could become a patron at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. For as little as $2 a month, you can help keep the lights on here and keep the cameras rolling. Well, the vert, well, not even a camera, just the microphone rolling at the Nurse Keith show. The show notes will be at nursekeith.com in the drop down menu labeled podcasts. And all of the links that we mentioned in the course of the conversation will be in the app where you happen to be listening as well, whether it's Overcast, Castro, wherever you happen to be listening. And like I said, we're here with Dr. Renee Thompson, the founder and CEO of the Healthy Workforce Institute. Renee is my very dear friend. We've known each other for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And Renee, you and I first met on Twitter in late 2011. It's been a really, really long time. And we've met in person many, many times. And you're one of my favorite people on the face of the earth. And you're doing such amazing work in the world. And like I said at the top, you know, workplace culture is kind of like your, that's your sweet spot and trying to figure out how to make them healthier. And that's why you founded the Healthy Workforce Institute. So in your purview, from your vantage point now, what are we seeing in workplace cultures and healthcare in these times as we're sort of, we've come out of the bulk of the pandemic and we're in this new phase, whatever it happens to be, what's what's coming across your desk and what are people saying to you these days? Yeah. Well, well, thank you for asking. And and first, thank you for having me on your show again. And you are right. We met for the first time on Twitter, now known as X. Yeah. Uh, many years ago. And it was just uh, a wonderful opportunity. You know, we talk about using social media for goodness. You know, we know it can be used for badness. 
but using it for goodness and some of the good that came about my earlier days in utilizing social media was meeting you and getting to spend the last how many years just um, working together through various other organizations. And I've been following you as a, a podcaster because I think you're probably the first podcaster out there, a nurse podcaster. Your blog that um, you've had for so many years, it, you've just really been an inspiration to me and to so many others. So thank you for that, Keith. Thanks, my friend. Uh, well, Here's what's happening. You know, I've been addressing in particular workplace bullying and incivility for the last 12 years. And it really just started just that, uh, helping that nurse who's working with a bully at two o'clock in the morning know what to do, you know how to handle it. And then I realized that, wait a minute, I can equip that nurse you know, all day long. But if their leader isn't doing something about it, holding people accountable for professional conduct, I'm going to be chasing my tail the rest of my life. So we really shifted and looked at making sure a, the leaders were equipped with the knowledge, skills, and tools that they needed to set behavioral expectations and hold their employees accountable. Well, that was difficult and it has been difficult for the last 12 years. And then you add a global pandemic and you ask basically, where are we right now? You're right. We focus more on culture work, which includes elements of bullying and incivility because that's what we do. That's what we're the experts on. But what we're finding is the leaders before the pandemic were not equipped. Now, they're even less equipped because some of the research that we've done recently is showing that 50% of the leaders in healthcare right now are new. These are brand new leaders who really don't have any basic leadership development. They're still learning how to do the staffing and the budgets and making sure you know their people get paid and running the administrative aspects of their department. Now, when we're asking them to engage in an honest conversation with an employee who is twice their age, who has been there for decades, who is their most competent nurse during a major staffing crisis, they fall apart. They have no idea how to handle it. And what we've seen is, I hate to say this, I don't want to sound gloom and doom because I'm, I still have a lot of hope for the future of healthcare and, and in particular nursing, but it's worse now than it ever was. Wow. Because at least the leaders before, they had been there for a long time. They at least mastered the administrative aspects of being, you know, managing a department and all we had to do was work on, all right, let's talk about how to actually cultivate a healthy work culture. Now, again, they don't even have the basics. And so we, we find that a lot of the coaching calls I have with the leaders who we work with, some of my calls are, we have conversations that are basic leadership development. Hmm. So when you say that 50% of leaders are new, um, it makes me think that a lot of these people maybe are highly competent clinicians who mm -hmm. probably have some basic um, 
propensity for leadership, or maybe they were pegged mm-hmm. as people who, you know, they're kind of natural leaders, right? But I, I'm making an assumption here, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that many of them haven't actually like gone to graduate school and gone through a healthcare administration master's degree. They've just sort of learned more on the job by hook or by crook. Is that true? Or most of them just being kind of promoted from clinician to leader? Um, yes and no. Tell I would say, that. yeah, many of them do have their master's degrees. And okay. I, especially now, getting a master's degree is almost considered, you know, if you want to do anything in leadership, you that's the 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 basic you need to have a master's degree um what we find is exactly to your point you're a, at the bedside you're a clinician today and a leadership role opens up and your director says come on i think you'd be really good in this role and then tomorrow boom you're the manager and there's not a lot of thought put into preparing these clinicians who are excellent clinicians to become excellent leaders. And again, we focus on the management tasks, the administrative tasks, but they're not really um, helping these new leaders develop what, what they, a lot of people refer to as the soft skills, mm-hmm. which at the Healthy Workforce Institute, we refer to them as essential skills. And what we're finding, yes, I like that much better because they truly are, truly are essential skills. We find that most of the leaders or so many of the leaders out there have less than two years experience and it's affecting uh, the overall work culture, performance, well-being, productivity. And then if they're not supported and equipped, they end up burning out too, and then they leave. And so many conversations I have with leaders, I'll say, how long have you been in this role? A year, six months, 18 months. And I usually ask, how did you find yourself in this position? Mm-hmm. And the common story is, well, our manager left or our manager transferred or, you know, position opened up and I was approached and, uh, sort of coerced into taking the role. Now, there are nurses right now who aspire to a leadership role, but I'd say many of them do not. And some of them, though, make amazing leaders, just given the knowledge, skills, tools, support, they can become amazing leaders. Um, but some of them really struggle and my heart goes out to them. It's not easy. I was a frontline manager. I lasted 14 months. My my staff chewed me up and spat me out. Mm. I was not equipped. I had no idea what I was doing. I was focused on the administrative tasks and had no idea how to deal with uh, some very toxic behaviors. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I quit. Wow. I quit. And when you said that a lot of these leaders have less than two years experience. They've probably been nurses for some time. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. But when they get promoted into these positions, some, like you said, a lot of them do already have master's degrees. Some of them Mm -hmm. might not, right? Because just Mm -hmm. because of circumstance, they just got promoted because 
there was nobody else to take that position, right? Right. And then a question I have for you, we mentioned, you know, like master's degrees, maybe master's in healthcare administration or an MSN in in healthcare leadership, whatever it is, there's all these different permutations of master's degrees and, and, you know, terminal degrees too. But are those leadership programs from your vantage point and what you know about them, are they teaching these essential skills that we used to call soft skills? Are they kind of are they addressing them and do they do a good job if they are? Uh, the the short answer is no, unfortunately. I it's very that was similar. Be the yeah. Um, very similar to what we see in undergraduate education. Um, schools of nursing are starting to incorporate content related to bullying and incivility and, you know, creating a healthier work culture. Um, but it's not robust. Sometimes it's called um, conflict management. And I, because we'll talk to some um, uh, academic organizations and they'll say, oh, no, we have bullying and incivility in our program. Oh, okay. Yeah, we do conflict resolution. Very different. That's mm. not um, content that, 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 it's not the same. And at least they're starting to recognize that this is an issue and they need to prepare their student nurses for the realities of what it could be like and with with the intention to really help equip them so that they can start addressing it and so they don't become the next bullies. So they don't become part of the problem. I have not seen a graduate school curriculum that includes content for leaders in any type of leadership role on how to address workplace bullying and incivility. I haven't seen it. If anybody who's listening knows of an, you know, an academic institution that does include this, please let me know. Cause I, I would love to know if, if it's out there, but I haven't seen it. That would be fantastic to know. And I bet you're right that they're just not out there. Maybe there's mm -hmm. a couple rogue schools that are really talking mm -hmm. about these things. It's interesting for one of the publishers I write for, I'm working on an article about masters in healthcare administration programs. Mm -hmm. And I've been looking at a lot of curricula while I do research for this article. And some of them seem to have a few courses here and there about workplace culture and behavioral mm -hmm. psychology. But doesn't look really robust to me. Having looked at, I don't know, about a dozen different MHA programs, they're not mm -hmm. impressive to me in that way, just like what you've perceived and, and seen in your experience. And that's really disappointing. And, and um, I guess disappointing is not even a strong enough word. It's, it's um, worrisome. It's very worrisome. And, you know, I, I had this thing during the pandemic, you know, where everyone was getting referred to as like heroes work here and mm -hmm. everyone was banging pots and pans for nurses and, you know, people were cheering and, you know, there was all this like um, 
there was just all this energy around, oh, aren't they all wonderful? And so I had this somewhat naive thought during the pandemic, like, huh, maybe this is a watershed moment. And when we get through this really horrible crisis, maybe we're going to come out on the other side and some workplace environments are going to be different. And workplaces and leadership are going to think, oh, wow, nurses are so valuable. And wow, we've really got to get it together and create healthy cultures and make sure we retain all these amazing nurses who got us through the pandemic. And personally, my, my um, perceptions are that None of that has happened at all. And do you see any gains mm. from all of these dynamics during the pandemic? Or did have we squandered the opportunity, basically? Yeah, like like you, I had high hopes. I was in the exact same mindset. I thought, here's our moment. People are actually recognizing. I mean, I know, you know, we... The surveys show that we're the most trusted profession and, you know, we're loved by the public. I I know that. I've known that for years. Mm-hmm. But in, in healthcare, um, really didn't see it play out in practice that we were the most trusted profession. However, during the pandemic, with all the heroes and nurses are amazing and physicians, too, it was the whole mm-hmm. team. Everybody. I was a little naive and it's so funny. I thought this might be sound odd coming from a business owner. I thought, you know what? We have an opportunity to to really bring kindness back to the workplace. And maybe we have an opportunity to create healthy work cultures to the point where nobody needs me anymore. And we can close our company and I can go spend more time with my grandbabies. Okay. Like I can close my company. And instead we had to hire more people because that that's not what happened. We, we missed our opportunity and there's no blame here. I can't even imagine what they were all going through and to, to come through this pandemic and we're still not exactly through it psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still losing a lot of people who just got to the point where they couldn't do it anymore. We never really had a chance to just pause and look at, okay, this is our opportunity. How do we make this a better place? Because then we're in the middle of a staffing crisis and we're losing some of our most competent nurses. And so I, I don't know. I, I refuse to give up. I refuse to just say, well, we missed our opportunity. Um, this is just the way it is. And it's worse now than ever before. I am amping up, you know, with with my team. We're, we're on a mission to create a world where bullying and incivility are immediately rejected and kindness, professionalism, and respect become the new norm. Maybe call me Pollyanna, but that's that's my vision. That's what wakes me up every day. Uh, I'm not giving up. Although, like I said, <laughs> it did get worse after the after we got through the pandemic. It did get mm-hmm. worse. Well, I think it's a beautiful and inspiring vision, and you've been the champion of this since I first met you. You were mm-hmm. you were on your own. You were sort of like a one woman show, crisscrossing the country, and you were the bullying and incivility expert. And you were, I felt like 
you were burning your wick at three ends, I would say, you know, trying to accomplish all this. And then you had this bold, amazing idea to put together a team, a faculty, and create an institute so that it wasn't just you anymore. It was this whole team. And then you could tackle bigger fish, like big healthcare systems. And we don't have to name healthcare systems, clients of yours, of Mm -hmm. course, but, but you're working with some pretty big employers on the national scene, right? Oh yeah. 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 Systems right now. And that's, that's where we, you're right. Um, I started, it was just me and Mm -hmm. now there's 10 of us soon to be 11. Mm -hmm. Uh, Three are faculty that help, help me either they'll speak on our behalf. Um, One in particular uh, partners with me when we do our consulting. And even now, and we're before we would work with a hospital or a department. Now we're actually looking at working with healthcare systems so that I I had um, someone at the system level of a very large health organization who said, everywhere I go, every meeting, every regional meeting I attend, somebody says, oh yeah, we're working with a healthy workforce institute. Oh yeah, Renee Thompson, we're working with. And he said, okay, I find out that six of our hospitals are working with you in some way and they've had great success. We want to take a look at bringing your programs to all of our hospitals. And it's a 30 some hospital system. And we're in conversations right now making that happen. And that's just one of several because we're looking at the fact that our systems and our programs work. They equip the leaders and their teams, including physicians and providers with the knowledge, skills, and tools that they need to cultivate a healthy work culture. We know they work. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to get these programs, our system into the hands of as many healthcare human beings as possible because I I can't not do that. I can't not, you know, try to bring these programs to the people who really need them because still every day somebody reaches out to me telling me about their situation. Either they're being bullied or they're a leader who's really struggling with somebody on one of their employees who's being incredibly disruptive and my gosh, the stories I could tell. It's just shocking sometimes when you hear about how some people behave in the workplace. Mm-hmm. But I I um, just look at it as, okay, let, let's see what we can do and you know, give them the strategies that they need. And uh, I'd say most of the time they work. Doesn't work all the time. I mean, we're dealing with human behavior here, which is very complex. But yeah, I went from just me to, you know, a whole institute and we're, we're growing. It's, it's, a, it's bittersweet. It's, it's great that we're a growing company. That means I can hire more people and I feel that I'm supporting them and their families. And, um, but at the same time, it's sad that they need us this much. Right. Cause you want to be put out of business. Yes. That's With, my that goal. Would be, that would be an awesome thing. Right. <laughs> well, when yes. we come back from the break, Renee, I have a bunch of more questions for you and sure. things to talk about. You and I could talk forever. So as soon as we come back, I have some other things to jump into. So hang in there with us. This is episode 458 of the Nurse Keith Show. And we are, of course, with the inimitable Dr. Renee Thompson, my friend, the founder and CEO of the Healthy 
Workforce Institute. Welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my good friend and colleague, Dr. Renee Thompson. And Renee, prior to the break, we were talking about some of the gains you and I wished we, or we almost like we're wishing for during the Mm -hmm. pandemic. And we both had this, we admit, slightly naive expectation that maybe things would change. And then we kind of fell on our faces and realized they hadn't really changed and maybe they've gotten worse. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you've grown the Healthy Workforce Institute, like you said, and you now have a faculty of 10, you're moving up to 11 very shortly. You're working with some big, big systems. And, you know, some of these systems, like you said, have more than 20 or 30 hospitals within them. So your reach is growing and, Mm -hmm. you know, the word is getting around that this is entirely possible. And you need a lot of buy-in from a lot of players. There's a lot of pokers in the fire, let's say, when you go into a big system. So you mentioned physicians, you mentioned nurses, you mentioned um, administrators. So when you come across either a group or an individual or just some part of a culture where you feel like there's a bottleneck, like there's a there's a roadblock, like there's there's just some resistance you're coming up against. How do you, you don't have to give away trade secrets, but how does one work with resistance when, you know, culture gets ingrained, but you want to shift it? So what mm-hmm. do you have to do to to make a major shift in culture? Uh Great question. Not an easy answer and not a, oh, I just do these three things. Um, there, You're right. In every single organization where mm-hmm. we do this work, mm-hmm. we always meet resistance. It can be the physicians. It can be the staff. It can be the leadership team. And and I'll give you an example. I'm working with a group right now. They have a, we're in one department. We are working with the leadership team and there are people on the leadership team. We don't, we don't have buy-in from them. We don't. And I can tell they just, in our meetings, they just sit there and look at me. And I know that they're resisting. Their arms are crossed. They're, oh, they're yes. not, Yeah. They don't need this. I, 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 the same thing with the staff. I'll go into a department mm-hmm. and I'll talk about an initiative that we're rolling out. And the staff nurses, they'll say, Oh, we don't know why you're here. We're not the problem. It's management or it's mm-hmm. not us nurses, it's physicians. And then what ends up happening, Keith, is everybody leaves the session, but a few people come back in and say, Well, no, we do have a problem, but we didn't want to say anything because the bully was in the room. And we know if you know he or she heard us, then they would make our lives difficult. Um, we sometimes have difficulty getting buy-in from somebody at the senior leadership level, the C-suite. And what how we try, I'll, I'll give you a, a practical strategy and then sort of a mindset strategy. 
the practical strategy is knowing that some people are left-brained and other people are right-brained. And in any given situation, especially if it's more, you're talking to more than one person, you always have to include conversations, include communication that taps into both that left brain and the right brain person, especially with physicians, they tend to be more left brain. So we don't talk about, this is my opinion here as the CEO of the healthy. No, I say the McKinsey report came out in 2022 that shows the number one cause of burnout and intention to leave is toxic workplace behaviors. Okay. Um, uh, patients have a 10% increase in infection rate when the physician is considered a rude physician. So we use the evidence. You know, we had a physician once push back, give us a hard time. And he said, uh, oh, what, you just want us to be nice to each other? Really? That's what this is all about? And Keith, honest to God, it was all I could do to be civil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to say, are you good? But you have to use the evidence. So we always include left brain um, content. And then we say, you know, if your mom was a patient in this department, would that behavior be okay with you? What if this was your spouse or your partner or your child? So we'll tell some of the stories to try to get buy-in. However, when I'm working, especially with leaders, they always want to go to the you know few resistors in the department that they can't get to turn around and they focus all their time and energy. So the, the, the mindset is in any department, you can even look at this in any organization, 20% of the people are the superstars. They come in, they're civil, professional, respectful. They help each other. They're kind, okay? 20%, the the do-gooders. 20% are the resistors. They stick their feet in the cement and they're not budging. We've had um, employees who have tried to boycott healthy workforce. Actually, I've heard this where they've said, we hate healthy workforce. We we don't want, and you have to just laugh and think, why would somebody say something like that? But they're the resistors. But 60% of them, we consider on the fence. There are days where they can show up as professionals and they're respectful and they don't get caught in the gossip and they don't get caught, you know, they don't in the clicks and all of that. But sometimes they do. And sometimes it depends on who they're hanging out with mm-hmm. that influences how they show up. Leaders make the mistake of focusing on that bottom 20%. And what I work with them is to focus on the 60%, those people who are on the fence that may need some coaching, some time with you as the leader to really help them to to move towards the superstar 20% and away from the resistors. I say, you know, you can't ignore your resistors, but don't give them your time and energy because it's almost a, an uphill battle. Um, 3% of all human beings in an organization are considered toxic hmm. and you don't work with them. You actually find a way to therapeutically extract them. Um, but yet we try to work with them. We coach them over and over and over again. And we give them all this time and attention, but that those are not the right people you should be giving your attention to. So. 
Yeah, it happens in every organization we go into. They don't always, op- not everybody is welcoming us with open arms. Mm-hmm. And we we just, um, we always say this, trust the process. It's a process. We start first by heightening awareness. Can't expect anyone to adapt their behavior if they're not aware their behavior needs to be adapted. And Keith, you know, you know this, it takes time. So this isn't a check the checkbox, one and done. We know when it comes to culture change, that does not work. So we're in it for the long haul. And those bottlenecks and the resistors, they either come around because we're, you know, relentless, or they stand out so much like a sore thumb that they leave. Hmm. Interesting. So, Mm -hmm. you know, is studying like family dynamics years ago, I remember hearing this theory of a family systems that when one person in the family starts to change, it's sort of like everyone is a spoke on the wheel. And when one of those spokes starts to wriggle and wiggle and change and stretch and find ways to grow and be different, all the other spokes start to get really uncomfortable because the wheel yes. isn't quite as round as it used to be. And the world, their worldview starts to have to shift or it's shifting around them because one, at least one member of that system is like, mm, I'm not comfortable with how it is anymore and I'm going to change. So it sounds like to me, when you look at a system like you're working with, and think of all these people and departments and units and, and groups and cliques. They're all like all these different types of spokes in that wheel. And when you're trying to get some percentage of them to start wiggling and changing and like looking at this these things differently, there's going to be a hell of a lot of discomfort. Yes. And some of them are just going to, they're going to, like you said, they're kind of, their feet are set in concrete. Is that what you said? Yes. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you see, do, 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 does leadership get that it's better to focus on the 60% than the bottom 20? Do they, do they get that concept and do they, do they buy into the fact that that 60% is where the gold might be? No, they, they, they no. don't. It's, <laughs> okay. I think it's human. Yeah. Just, nope. Uh, I think it's human nature to focus on the, the people who are the most difficult. It is human nature to do that because they're the ones, as soon as you walk in the door, they're yipping at you. They're complaining. Okay. They're the ones that are always the first one in the office, the first one. So of course, the natural tendency is to focus on them because they're the ones that are in your face versus the ones who are quietly disengaging. They're not making a ruckus. You know, they, they basically do their job most of the time. It's easy to ignore them. And Keith, that's what I did when I was a new leader. I didn't know. I gave all of my attention to the four people in my department who were so toxic. Now, rightly so, they actually needed to be therapeutically extracted. However, what we help the leaders do is to shift that mindset. And again, it's not to say ignore those resistors. Oh, you address them, but you address, you just give them a short amount of time. I always say they need your attention, but don't give them your energy. Save your energy for the 60% in the middle 
and for those superstars at the top, it's acknowledging them. You know, I am so glad you're here today, Kim. Every time you're here, I know our patients are going to get great care and the team always benefits from your presence because I always see you helping. You know, you be specific, you're sincere. They, They don't need to be motivated externally by you. They're motivated internally. Some of the people, the 60%, they need that motivation from you. They need that acknowledgement. They need that time with you. The leader can't do that if they're giving all of their time to the, the 20% of the resistors. So yeah, they, they think that that's what they should do. And I work with them and help them to see that, no, focus on the people on the fence, the middle people. Mm-hmm. And we don't have much time left and we need to wind down shortly, but I just want to touch mm-hmm. on one thing because I feel like it, it it's good to talk about. And you and I have talked about this in the past. We always have functions in the workforce at any given time, more or less, right? So we have members of four generations. Yes. Are are you seeing any patterns emerging right mm-hmm. now in terms of generational differences vis-a-vis workplace culture and these behaviors? What how could you encapsulate what you're seeing generationally? I'm actually seeing a lot of anger. Um, especially from the nurses who have are older, who have been there for a long time. Um, I've been doing some more, a lot of work in uh, women's and infant services. And I'll give you the perfect example that I'm seeing repeated all over the country where we're hiring a lot of new nurses who, let's face it, are ill prepared to hit the ground running because they learned how to be nurses during a global pandemic. And the experienced nurses are angry about needing to teach them the basics. And there's whole conversations that, you know, we've been having about this. And I've even written an article about this, Um, you know, acknowledge, yes, you're right. They are ill prepared, but it's not their fault. So quit being so mean to them. Okay. Instead, let's help them. But especially in the NICU, there's a a phenomenon that happens in the NICU where the nurses are all about protecting their babies. They want to protect their babies from any ill-prepared or incompetent human being. And all it takes is for a new nurse, a young new nurse, to show any signs of incompetence those older experienced nurses will attack and won't let them take care of the sickest babies. They get the, you know, feeders and growers. And, you know, I get pushback when I talk about this because Mm -hmm. I get some of the older nurses who say, what about the new nurses? They're the ones who are coming in being mean to us or bullying us. And it is true. It happens. However, this is a, a consistent pattern that I'm seeing. And what, the experience, the older nurses, so that, you know, Generation X, uh, pretty much right now, um, or some of the the baby boomers are still working. They don't think these new nurses have suffered enough. And I've actually heard them say this. They haven't suffered enough. So why should we accommodate them? Why should we allow such flexibility and things like schedules? And I worked, you know, six 24-hour shifts in a row. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm making this up. But I walked to, I walked to work on broken yes. glass barefoot. Yeah, the whole thing. Yes. 
Yeah. And some of these, we were talking about degrees earlier. Some mm-hmm. of these older experienced nurses have diplomas, have associate degrees. I was an associate degree nurse. That's how I started. Me too. Um, yes, it, it was a great experience for me. And it, it got me into nursing. And then I advanced from there. But um, there's very rarely now, well, we're still seeing diploma and associate degree, you know, new graduate nurses. But uh, a lot of them have their bachelor's degree and some of the older nurses, the older generation, they um, it's not that they'll give them a hard time, but they use that as a just because you have a a higher degree than me doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you're a better nurse than me. And sometimes those new nurses come in and they think, well, what I have a bachelor's and you only have an associate's degree. Okay, let's just all put that aside. Does does it really matter at two o'clock in the morning when that baby or that adult is crashing, okay, coding, is anybody asking around the room, hey, what degree do you have? No. Yeah. Oh, Who cares? Who cares yes. in those moments? Right. But they use it. So when you talk about generational challenges that are out there right now, um, this generation is really, and I don't want to overgeneralize, Mm-hmm. Um, they they understand work life balance where the older mm-hmm. generation doesn't, and the older yes. generation I would say gets angry about that, yeah. and they don't feel that they're invested in you know whether that's true or not. You can't overgeneralize. You really no. just can't because everybody's a little different. But right. But if but if you you have these differences, this is something that your team has to account for. And this is something the leadership of an organization has to account for. And you have to work with that because it's not going to go away. And you're always going to have the the newer generation and you're going to have the resistors and, you know, and like you said, the bullying can go both ways. And, you know, we do have to start to close here, but, you know, people can find the Healthy Workforce Institute at healthyworkforceinstitute.com. And mm-hmm. I know you have your Coffee Break podcast, which gives insight for leaders around these issues. And you have right. webinars. And then you have some free downloads for leaders and for rank and file nurses if they want mm-hmm. strategies and they want to figure out how to respond to a bully, how to how to work with that kind of energy on their unit and figure out how to how to deal with it. And you also have the blog over Healthy Workforce Institute. So you have a lot of resources. And if an organization wants to work with you, they can just work, reach out to HWI and send an inquiry, right? Okay. Yes, they can just go to our website and there's a contact form. They can just fill that out and someone will get back to them. And yeah, we um, work, as you said, we have a lot of different ways that we work with organizations um, a lot of our content on our website is free. You know, we really want to get these tools and strategies into everybody's hands who needs them. And obviously, we have, we're a business too. We we do a lot of consulting, speaking, training. We have some products. And yes, I launched a podcast this mm-hmm. past July of 2023 uh, called Coffee Break, Breaking the Cycle of Bullying in Healthcare One Cup at a Time. And it's really my opportunity to try to help more and more leaders, executives, and even that nurse who's working at two o'clock in the morning know how to address workplace bullying and incivility so that 
we can get back to doing what we need to do, and that's care for our patients, but we have to first care for each other. And mm-hmm. we're never going to be able to give good care to our patients if we can't even you know, treat each other well. That's so true. And you're a champion of that. And you've been a champion for well over a decade. And you're one of, you're one of my heroes, Renee, and oh, good friends. You. And I know we have to go because you have to go. And I have four quick questions I usually sure. ask all my guests at the end of the show, but we don't really have time. So I'm going to skip to the to the fourth question because I think this is the most important question when it comes to, to you and your worldview. So okay. the question the last question I ask all my guests is if you were named Queen of the World tomorrow. What's one of the first things you would want to do to improve the lives of your subjects? And you need to bear in mind that as queen of the world, you would have ultimate power. So you could eventually do everything you wanted to do. But if mm-hmm. as you're, if you wanted to wave your magic scepter on day one, what would you want to do for your subjects? Okay. This is the first thing that I thought of. Okay. It has nothing it. to do with healthy work cultures, nothing to do with bullying and incivility. Awesome. I would invite everybody to a big party. All right. I would feed everyone. I'm Italian. You know, food mm-hmm. is love. Manja, you know, you, you need to eat. I would celebrate life. Um, mm-hmm. I would insist that everybody stop what they're doing and just get together with the people that they love or strangers, people who they don't know. Just come together and celebrating the blessings that we have to show gratitude because life isn't easy. Um, people are challenged, but there's always some goodness that you can find and some reason to celebrate, something to be grateful for. So I would have a big world party with good wine and good food. Okay, that's what Spoken I would do. like a true Italian daughter and grandmother. <laughs> Right. I know. That's and so you are funny. an Italian grandmother now. So yes, I am. I'm Nani. That's my you are uh, Nani. Yeah. Yeah. That's my grandma name, Nani. Well, Renee, you are amazing. You and I have known each other a long time. And I just think the work you're doing in the world is amazing. And I I I talk about the Healthy Workforce Institute and you as often as possible. And I slip it into articles I write all the time. So yes, I thanks know. for just doing this amazing work and just being the wonderful human being you are. Well, thank you, Keith. As I said, um, there are so many good humans out there in the world, and I try to connect with as many of them as I can. And you were always a good human from the beginning, from the first time I met you. And and I'm also really trying to help people to become better human beings. And so I just thank you. I appreciate you and, and all the goodness that you bring out into the nursing profession and into the world. So thank you, my friend. Thank you, my friend. And there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. The show notes are at nursekeith.com or on the app where you happen to be listening. Remember to go to healthyworkforceinstitute.com. You can also find them on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. And those links will be in the show notes. You've become a patron at patreon.com. And remember to also visit the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com, of which we are proud members. We are jointly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. And before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by Helen Keller. The best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. 
they must be felt with the heart. And heart is what Renee Thompson is all about. So be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Dr. Renee Thompson saying arrivederci from? Tampa, Florida. Tampa, Florida. Thank you, Renee. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll catch you on the proverbial flip side. Thank you.